0: Are you living captivated? God's grace is not the freedom to live as we want, but the freedom to live as we were created, the freedom to live completely captivated and dependent on God. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Before we get into our Bible study today, which is from Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10, I first want to mention a couple of things. First of all, I want to thank you for the encouragement that you've been giving me on how the, the, the Lord is using the podcast in your life. And I I I want to acknowledge that and give praise to the Lord for what he's doing, that he could take somebody and just put them behind a microphone, push a record button, and just simply talk uh, of the Lord and interview people, uh, give platform for others to talk and to be interviewed and to give devotions, uh, and to see how he has been using that is just really encouraging. And, and I want to, I want to give thanks to the Lord and praise him for what he's doing and how he's using it in your lives. And also I want to thank you for your response to the podcast, uh, from two weeks ago when Arlene and I interviewed, um, Melissa Friesen. Melissa is a, 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 an alumni of His Hill and a present missionary in Haiti. And she simply gave us, you know, the her testimony of what the Lord's doing as she and the ministry that she's involved with, chosen and cherished, how they have had to run, literally run for their lives because of the unrest in Haiti right now. And now they're in hiding. Uh, at the end of that podcast, we were able to give you uh, the opportunity to uh, to join in an effort of encouraging chosen and cherished ministries uh, by sending them uh, things that just daily needs. So, uh, at the end of that podcast, uh, we uh, gave you the the, the contact information, uh, and uh, which is you can still get in. You still take part in that if you want to, by contacting me, Kelly K E L L Y at hishill.org. org, and I'll send you the information on how you can send uh, supplies to to uh, Melissa and Chosen and Cherished Ministries uh, to to help out uh, these these people, these children that they're they're ministering to, that they're that 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 they're loving and caring for, and. So if, if you would like to take part in that, just let me know, and I'll be glad to, to send you that information. Now, with our study today, again, it's from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, and it reads like this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete, and he's the head over all rule and authority. Now, if you know me or been around me, have heard my teaching for any extent of time, you've probably heard me talk about these verses. And that's because these verses are, are, this is the passage that the Lord used in my life to wake me up to the reality of Christ being my life. Not just being somebody that I'm to imitate, but who is literally to be the source the, the, uh, of all that I am engaged in, and it, it was uh, it was through these verses that the Lord just really changed the course of my walk with Him, and so you know it just seems natural for me to come back to these verses over and over again. It's good for me to come back to them, even though I've seen them and I know the passage by heart, even though I, I know it like this. To keep coming back and to uh, just listen to what the Lord says to me and to, to hear him as he continues to take me to the depths of this and c- continues to, un, uh, to to reveal the, the wonder of what these verses are talking about. Today, in looking at these verses, I was reminded of Solomon and how he embraced the world when it came to polygamy. And in so doing, he lived opposed to God and his standard of one wife which brought Solomon to this reality as stated in 1 Kings 11 verse 4, where we read for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. You know, it doesn't say that he didn't have anything to do with God. But his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord. There was a mixture of, what the, uh, uh, of the Lord w- along with the, what he saw to be the best of the world. And what that ended up doing is that there, there is no way of, there's no way of pleasing the Lord that way. There's no way of living the way he was created to live that way because his heart was turned away to other gods trying to mix the two together. In verse eight, we find that we are not to be taken captive by the world. It starts off with see to it. That phrase is a present active imperative. It's active, and really within the context, see to it is an activity of faith. Because in verses six and seven, just the two verses before, we read this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, So walk in him. So how did we receive him? Well, once we answer that question, then we understand how we're supposed to walk in him. Well, verse seven says this, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. It is by faith we come to him. It is by faith we continue with him. It is, you know, Hebrews eleven six 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we can never get away from faith. It, faith is required to enter into this life that is Christ. Faith is required to continue in this life, which is Christ. And that is faith in Christ, not faith in us to be like him. See to it. There is never a time to back off. There is a, there's never a time To coast, but we are to be actively by faith, seeing to it, making sure that we are not taken captive by the world. And so it goes on and says, See to it that no one takes you captive. This is a negative present active participle. It has been pointed out that this term is used only here in the New Testament, and it means to kidnap. To seduce or to take as a slave. So how? We're supposed to be, you know, active in this, so how do we go about by faith being active and not being kidnapped or seduced or enslaved? Well, it says this: through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. So we, what? We are actively by faith, not as Solomon did, gravitating to and latching onto what makes sense from the world. (laughs) You know, when, when I, when I was in Bible college, and and again, if you've been around me, uh, you know that I talk about this, this one moment a lot. And the, the reason I do is because, you know, looking back on it, I've come to realize that this was a watershed moment for me in my life. This was a, a turning, this was, a, this a, this was a, a, a key moment of something that God was working and waking me up to. I was in Bible college, I did not yet understand that Christ was my life. I was very busy trying to be like Jesus and trying to please God in my own effort for him and was very frustrated. But I was sitting in the church leadership class, which was a class that was full of future pastors, uh, future Bible teachers, and future missionaries. We're sitting there, and the academic dean was our professor. He was the one that taught the class. He came in one morning, and he made this statement verbatim. In order to reach the world, we have to become more like the world. Now, I didn't understand that Christ was my life, but there was something that went that, that took place in my heart at that moment. I believe it was a check by the Holy Spirit that grabbed a hold of me and just simply worked in my heart saying this, that's not true. In order to reach the world, we have to become more like the world. I was sitting in the front of the class, not because that was my preferred place to sit, but because we were sitting alphabetical, I had to sit there. I've, all, I've spent my whole life sitting in the back. Um, it's in that back corner. That's just where I've always been comfortable. But I was in the front, and when he said that, in order to reach the world, we have to become more like the world, I immediately turned around and I looked at the rest of the class I looked at my friends, my acquaintances, people that I had been in conversations with in the hallways and in between classes and watched as they grabbed their pens and began to write down the statement. In order to reach the world, we have to become more like the world. And I have watched over those years, over these years, that would have been 1986, 1987, I don't remember which year, I have watched as the church has gravitated and latched on to this kind of teaching. In order to reach the world, we have to become more like the world. We've done it with our music, we've done it with our sermon presentations. You know, we, we've done it with how we present ourselves in society, we've done it in how we've backed off of strong stances that once the church was known for. And I've had many believers or several believers tell me throughout the years when I shared this story, that I've actually had believers to say this to me, Kelly, there's some truth to that. And my response has been this, what truth? And their defense is that, well, Jesus ate with the sinners and I would say, yeah, he did. He ate with the sinners but he never took on the characteristics of the sinner. He never compromised what, the, what was true of his father in order to be with them and for them to want to be with him. Instead, we find in Scripture that they wanted to be with him because there was something different about him. There was something different, not the same as what they were finding with everybody else in the world. There was something different about him. And so they were gravitating to him. Major Thomas has said it like this. If the way you live your life as a Christian can be explained in terms of you, what have you to offer the man who lives next door? The way he lives his life can be explained in terms of him. And so far as he's concerned, you happen to be religious. But he is not. Christianity may be your hobby, but it is not his. And there's nothing about the way you practice it which strikes him as at all remarkable. There's nothing about you which leaves him guessing and nothing commendable of which he does not feel himself equally capable without the inconvenience of becoming a Christian. Colossians one twenty seven says this, to whom God willed, to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This life that we are to be living is a mystery. When it ceases to be a mystery, it ceases to be God. It ceases to be of him. If the way you live your life as a Christian is no different than the way the non-believer lives his life, then where's the mystery? Where's the mystery in that? Why even bother with being a Christian? You certainly don't need Jesus. But Galatians 2:21 tells us this, Paul says, "I do not nullify the grace of God. That grace, the freedom not to live the way, We want, but the freedom to live the way we were created, captivated with him. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. You see, the law was dependent upon man, and that's the frustration with it, that man cannot live out the image of God in and of himself. And verse 21 of Galatians 2.20 is saying that if this is possible, then Christ died needlessly. There's no need for Jesus. Do you need Jesus? While we are not to be taken captive with the world, according to the first part of verse 8, the ending of it tells us that we are to see to it that we are taken captive by Christ. Right at the end of verse eight, it says, after saying, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and deception, according to tradition of men, elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Again, God's grace is not the freedom to live as we want, but the freedom to live as we were intended, as we were created to. And that means to live completely captivated and dependent on God. Christ is to be the very center and source of all that we do or say as husbands, wives, sons, daughters, carpenters, lawyers, housewives, and preachers. How is this possible? Well, verse 9 says this, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The first word I want to look at is in, for in which means within the confines of, you will not find what he's about to talk about outside of the confines that he will present. So within the the context here, it will not be found outside of him, for in him, and him here is Christ. So what he says, we, we we are to be taken captive with Christ in all that we do in life. How is that possible? In, within the confines of him, Christ. But look, what do we find there? Within the confines of him, Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity, God. John 14, verses, verse six, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then in verse nine of John 14, he says this, When you see me, you see the Father. Here in this verse in Colossians 2, 9, for in him within the confines of Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. In Christ, we find all of God. Every year in Bible school, in my first class, I will often give an assignment. And I tell the students, and it's, it's usually, uh, it, well, actually, I always do this. It's in the first class. And w- what I do is I say, okay, here we are, first class, here's your first assignment. And, you know, they kind of look at you like, oh, my goodness, okay, assignment, okay, you know, they're, they're, it rattles them a little bit. You know, they're there in Bible school, and they, okay, so they grab their pens, they, they grab their computers, they're ready to type it out, what, what's this assignment? And I tell them this. In this passage, we find that in Christ, we find all of God. Now, I want you to write down in 60 seconds all the truths of God that you can think of. Ready? Go. And I time it. At the end of 60 seconds, I say, okay, stop. Now, how many of you have exhausted the list of all that is true of God? Raise your hand. I've been asking this question for 30 years, and not once has anyone raised their hand. Not even the class clown of each year who you know always raises their hand, always has something goofy to say. Not even the class clown has dared to raise their hand in 30 years. Because everyone knows that it's impossible. That it's impossible in 60 seconds to come up with all the truths of God. And then I go in to tell them this. Now listen, we could actually have a course on this where we will just sit down and just look at all the truths of God and we could actually have a week-long course on it and not be finished. We could actually do it for the whole semester and not be finished. We could do it for the whole year and still not be finished. Now tell them I know that for sure because that's exactly what we're doing. And when you get to the end of the year, this being your first course, your first class with me, when we get to the end of the year, you still won't be finished with all that is true of God, all of the truth that is found in Him. Now, with that thought, read this verse For within the confines of Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. That's amazing. We cannot fathom that. And as if though that were not enough, we move on to verse 10. And in him in whom you find all that's true of God, you have been, past tense, present reality, have been made complete. And the word complete means full. That's it. There's no room for anything else. No room for any more. You have been made complete. There's nothing more for us to run around looking for. Nothing more for us to run around adding to what we've been given. Everything that we have been created for is now a reality within the confines of Christ. And what have we been created for? All that God is. And then it ends with this telling us that he is the head over all rule and authority. The one that we've been made complete in is in charge, in control over all rule and authority. Whatever the issue is, he's got it. That reminds me of Stephen in the book of Acts, when he is about to be murdered for his belief, for his faith in Christ. And he looks up into the heavens as the religious leadership is about to kill him. And he sees the heavens opened up and he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. In Hebrews, we find that Jesus is seated in the, having completed the work that that the Father had for him to do, having made purification of sins, he sits down in the place of authority, at the right hand of God. But here in Acts, we see him stand up. And what I believe is happening here is that Stephen, as I remember it being explained, taught to me, Stephen would have to take the position of standing before his accusers. And as as these accusers are about to kill him, he looks up into heaven, and he sees the one who has made purification of sins, who has sat down. He sees him stand, taking the position of the accused. And he allows Stephen to see this, and it is as though he is saying this to Stephen. Stephen I've got this. And because Jesus had this, Stephen could die the death that he died. I have a friend that's gone home to be with the Lord. His name is James Sample. James was a pastor. He was my childhood pastor, actually. And later in life, he uh, came in contact with Major Thomas. He began to understand that Christ was his life, and he went on to preach this truth he went on to preach the gospel, and uh, and then the Lord brought the two of us back together in my adult years. He shared a story once that he had with Major Thomas. The first time he had met Major Thomas, he invited Major to come and preach at his church, and Major had a, a week of meetings there, and at the end of that that week, uh, James had not been able to get any time alone with Major. Now, everybody wanted to be with Major, wanted to talk to him, and Finally, James saw the opportunity, Major Thomas was to preach in another church that was driving distance away from his church. So James took him to the next church. And in that car, he was so excited that he would have the opportunity to ask Major Thomas some questions. So as they're driving down the road, James said to uh, to Major, oh, Major, I've got a few questions for you. Major said, Okay. James says, "Well, in our church, we're having a problem with this one sister. She is just so adamant, and she's just so, uh, so uh, divisive." And and he went on to explain the situation. And Major was very quiet as James asked his question. And James finished, and Major Thomas just simply said, "This, James, have you placed your faith in Christ?" James was shocked at that question. You know, he was looking for you know some wisdom on how to deal with this. You know, what do you, what do you mean? He said, "Well, yes, I have." So, you're telling me that Jesus lives in you? Yes, he does live in me. Do you believe that Jesus is over this situation? In other words, he's the head of all rule and authority? James says, well, yes, I do. So, you believe he can take care of this? James says, of course. And Major said, then let him. James thought, well, that's interesting. Uh, well, Major, I've got another problem here. Uh, that we we're also having a problem with our choir. And he went on to explain what was going on with the choir at the time. And Major listened, and then he, as they're driving down the road, Major just says, James, have you placed your faith in Jesus? Yes. Does he live in you? Yes. Is he the Lord of all creation? Is he sovereign? Is he? He the head of all rule and authority? Yes. So he can handle this? Yes. Major replied. Then, let him. James was starting to get a little irritated, and he asked one more question. He presented another issue of the church, and Major then said, James, have you placed your faith in Christ? Does he live in you? Is the is he the head of all rule and authority? Then let him. James says he was so frustrated he couldn't get Major to the next church quick enough. He didn't talk to him again for the rest of the trip. It was pretty quiet. He let him out, said goodbye to him, and drove home just fuming. But he said, you know, I was left alone in that car with Major's answer ringing over and over again. And as he was forced to think through that, he came to the realization that the biggest problem he was facing was not the issues that had come up, but the biggest obstacle he was facing was himself. He was not the head of all rule and authority. James was not. Therefore, there was absolutely nothing, nothing he could do to rectify the situation in a way that would bring honor to God. And he realized that the only hope he had was the fullness of God found in Christ. And in that car, James said yes to Jesus. James, who was a believer, said yes to Jesus. James, who had put his faith in Christ years before, said yes to Jesus. As you have received him, so walk in him. There's a poem that I found entitled, In Christ We Have. The author is unknown, but it goes like this. In Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed, "...a life that can never die... "...a righteousness that can never be tarnished... "...a peace that can never be understood... "...a rest that can never be disturbed... "...a joy that can never be diminished... "...a hope that can never be disappointed... "...a glory that can never be clouded... "...a light that can never be darkened... "...a purity that can never be defiled... "...a beauty that can never be marred... "...a wisdom that can never be baffled... Resources that can never be exhausted. Is all of God found in Christ enough for you? Is all of God found in Christ enough for you in your relationships and in the situation you may find yourself in? Or do you need more? Our family has a, has a business. Each morning, we get together with family and employees. We read scripture and we pray. On Mondays and Fridays, we have a little bit more extended time with this in that we have a devotion. This morning, I was leading a devotion from this passage. And after sharing some thoughts from it, I then asked, does anybody else have anything to say? One of our workers spoke up and he said this. I've been thinking about this for a while and this is what I've come to. All temptation comes down to this. Whether or not God is enough. Is God enough? Is all of God found in Jesus enough? There's a hymn that uh, Jeremy Camp has his own version of. And uh, so I want to use some of his words, just excerpts from, from his version. It goes like this. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. When I am alone, give me Jesus. Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus is all of god found in christ enough for you are you captivated with jesus
1: thanks for listening thank you for listening to this week's episode of the his hill podcast featuring our host kelly doherty and his devotional on colossians chapter 2 We have one more week of camp left and then our summer staff will close out this chapter of life and begin a new one. This camp season has been wonderful in many ways. And as always, the thought of saying goodbye is difficult. Please be praying for our summer volunteers as they prepare for the end of camp and step into the next thing God has called them to and that they would leave here encouraged and believing that he is good and he knows best. Thank you again for joining us this week for another episode of the His Hill podcast. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ and don't forget that you have been crucified with Christ and that it is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. I'm Lizzie and we'll see you next week.